0: Oh, good morning once again, and welcome back to our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke called Don't Miss Moments. When my wife Kim and I were raising our two daughters when they were really little, there were three songs that we used to sing to them day after day after day after day and week after week after week after week because we really wanted them to be strong in their Christian faith and to embrace our Christian values. Uh, If you're a Christian parent, you might already know what these three songs are. Number three in our list of most sung songs in our home was I Am Jesus' Little Lamb. We're going to teach our kids, you know, you might feel weak and vulnerable like a little lamb, but Jesus is a good shepherd and if you have him, you lack nothing. You're going to be okay. No one can snatch you out of his hand. Number two on the list of songs that we sung to our daughters the most was Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, the Bible tells me so. Uh, In life, you might doubt God's love. You you might wonder if you've messed up too bad, if you've sinned too much. But no, here's what you know, no matter what your feelings tell you, because the Bible says so, that God is love and that Jesus loves you. But the number one song on our list that we sung to our girls more than any other, and you probably already know what it is, was that hit by the Rolling Stones, You can't always get what you want. (laughs) This is true. I'm not (laughs) in, our daughters know the text and the tune of that song even better than Jesus Loves Me. For copyright reasons, I can't sing it to you today, but you can probably guess what it's about. The the Rolling Stones say, doesn't matter what you want, you can't always get what you want. Because I don't know about your kids' parents, but my kids, I mean, they're great but they were little want addicts. Like when they, when they would not get what they want, they would have withdrawal symptoms. They were so moody. They were so aggressive. They would literally say that they hated their mother, the mother who birthed them, fed them, and raised them when she did not give them what they wanted. And so we would sing, you, you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. We would just sing the very first note and our kids would go. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I love this. To this day, if you make the mistake of saying I need something in front of my daughters, they might perk up and say, do you need it or do you just want it? <laughs> yeah, as parents, we knew how, how important it was to differentiate between something that you might want and something that you actually need. That's actually hugely important in any relationship, isn't it? If you're dating someone, like, how you want things to go, what you want to do over the weekend, what you might want, that's that's fine. But if you don't know the difference between what you want and what you actually need out of a relationship, uh, it's going to be ugly. If you're running a business or you have employees or you're working for your boss, there's all these things that we want as employers or employees, but you don't always get what you want. And so you need to know the difference between once wants. And needs and and I want to propose to you today that that, that idea, the difference between wants and needs, is, is so urgently important when it comes not to you and your earthly parents, but when it comes to you and, and God, our Father in heaven. Like you and I, as human beings, we want a whole long, long list of things, that, and that's totally okay, but it's really, really important for you to know the difference between what you might want today from God and what you actually need from God. What do you think? Do you have a good idea in your own heart of those two categories? I was thinking the other day about what you, here, our church family, wants because I was reading these. Uh, If you're watching at home online or on TV, you might not know, these are these little communication cards we have at our church where the, the members of our church can write down all the things they want their pastors to pray for. And every single Sunday, right after you all leave, I I read through all these things that you want. Uh, Two weeks ago, here's some of the things that made your want list. Um, I'm starting a new business. God, would you bless it? Uh, My daughter is dealing with extreme anxiety. God, would you heal it? Uh, My granddaughter is recently having seizures and we don't know what to do. God, would you help us? Lord, would you cure his lung cancer and her brain cancer and, and his colon cancer? With request after request after request, you you basically told me what you want God to do, and and that's absolutely okay. But it made me think of a big question: what if God didn't give you what you wanted? What if the anxiety doesn't go away? What if starting a business is more difficult than you think? What if that special someone doesn't show up just one week after you prayed that prayer? What happens if physically or financially or relationally or emotionally God doesn't give you an immediate yes? If you don't get what you want in that moment, what will happen to your relationship with God? Will you love him, praise him, put your palms up and worship him because he's given you everything that you need eternally? Or will the devil tempt you to think that he's not giving you what you actually need, which technically is what you kind of want? Hmm. Today, I want to try to impress on your heart the spiritual importance of differentiating between wants from God and what you need from God. Because today we're celebrating Palm Sunday, as you probably picked up from the palm branches all around and Palm Sunday is like proof positive number 1 that if people get this wrong, if they think all these things that they want are what they truly need, they can turn on God lightning fast. Some of you Bible scholars kind of know the story. Sunday Palm Sunday, people are putting their palms up and laying their palm branches down. They love Jesus, they're praising Jesus, they worship Jesus, and it didn't take them 5 years to turn on Jesus. It took them 5 days. When these massive crowds that were singing praises to his name turned on him and raised up their fists and cried for his cross. Do you know why that happened? It's because Jesus was the kind of king that they needed, not the kind of king that they wanted. So today, 2,000 years later, on this Palm Sunday, I want to save you from making the same mistake. By the time I say amen, I want you to be praising Jesus, not because he said yes to everything on your prayer list but because he came to this world and he rode into Jerusalem to be exactly the kind of king, redeemer, and God that you and I truly need. So I want to open my Bible today to Luke chapter 19. If you're following along at home and you have a Bible, open it up to verse 28 because we're going to read one of the four accounts from Dr. Luke here of Palm Sunday and meet the kind of king that we desperately need. Verse 28 says this, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as Jesus told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you (laughs) untying that colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So what do we learn about Jesus from those verses? What kind of king is he? If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, We learn from these verses that Jesus is an all-knowing king. Jesus is the kind of king who knows all of it. In fact, when I looked at the details of this text, it's, it's almost humorous, isn't it? Uh, hey guys, yep, I want you to go to that village, way up there, right when you walk into the village, you're gonna see this little donkey, and uh, do you know how many miles are on that donkey? Zero, fresh off the donkey factory floor, no one's ever ridden it before, and so you're gonna untie it, and then someone's gonna come out of the house, and they gonna say, hey, why are you untieing the cult? And here's what you're gonna say back, and they're gonna say, cool, and then bring me the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, I wish there was like some YouTube video footage of these guys just wide-eyed walking into the village. There's the donkey. It doesn't have a saddle on it. What? And then the dudes come out. We knew you were going to come out. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Let's say it before they say it. Like every, every line, every detail. I mean, oh, that's just the fact that the donkey was there, but no one had ever written it. Jesus knows everything. He knows the desires of our heart. He knows the thoughts of our mind. He knows the GPS location of random donkeys in tiny villages that maybe you have never heard of. Jesus is a king. Who knows it all? And not just that. Keep reading with me, verse 35. They brought it to Jesus, the colt, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So what do we learn about Jesus from these verses? Here's my second thing I want to tell you, that Jesus is an all-worthy king. They take their cloaks, they, they throw them over this dirty donkey, they, they take off maybe the only cloak they had with them, maybe the only cloak they owned. They, they laid it on the ground so Jesus could get the red carpet treatment as he rides into Jerusalem as a king. You ever think about why they did that? So you and I are used to clean sidewalks, pavement, Nice interstates. But 2,000 years ago, especially on the hills of Jerusalem, there were no like, major Roman roads. There was just dirt and dust next to dirt and next to dust. So when this massive crowd comes walking into Jerusalem with Jesus, what, what do you think the air would have been like? <sighs> just massive cloud and, and these people think, wait, if, if Jesus is actually the king, if, if he is the chosen one of God, if he is the Messiah, we don't want him covered in dirt and filth and grit and grime and so they were willing to take off their own cloaks to be trampled on by sandals and animals just so Jesus would stay clean. It's this amazingly humble way of saying, I'm willing to get dirty because Jesus is worthy. And think of this, Jesus is riding a donkey Who here has ever been to a parade before? You know where I'm going with this? (laughs) I mean, maybe this is my only cloak that I own. Back in the day, people didn't have extra walk-in closets. This is my only cloak and I'm laying it down and I'm watching that donkey praying, please, please. (laughs) So these people are taking a huge chance because they believe that Jesus is a huge deal. He's the king from heaven, whatever it costs me, however difficult or, or dingy, dirty life has to be, he's, he's worth it and he's worthy. Now, Luke doesn't include, include this detail, but Matthew and Mark and John do, that the people didn't just put down their cloaks, they put down these uh, palm branches. Uh, date palm trees grew all over in the ancient Middle East. And so, you'll find in ancient art and in ancient coins that people started taking the palm branch as a symbol of victory. So, we see palm trees and we think, oh, California. It's it's warm. That that looks nice. Now, in the ancient world, people would have seen this and they would have thought, victory. Um, For example, when athletes would win a race, they'd often take these leaves and they'd turn them into a, a crown. You've won the victory. Um, you can find coins from ancient kings. Um, they're sitting on their thrones, victorious and strong, scepter in hand with palm branches overhead. Or my favorite, when Roman lawyers would go to a big case, they weren't sure if they were going to win, if they would come out victorious, they might come home to their loved ones having, having nailed palm branches over the door frames of their house as a victor lives here. So with the cloaks on the ground, with the palm branches laid out, they were trying to say, Jesus is our victorious king. He is worthy of whatever we have to offer him. He's not just all-knowing. He is all-worthy. And one last thing Luke wants to tell us. Jump back to verse 37. It says, When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's a a praise party, huh? Apparently, there were very few Lutherans in the crowd because these people went nuts, did they not? It wasn't just one like super expressive, you know, worshipper there. I love this. The whole crowd, here's what they began to do: joyfully praise, not just in mumbling church speak, in loud voices. They're they're just going nuts. It's like a, a stadium erupting in praise. And did you catch the reason why? They began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles. Uh, the Greek word for miracles literally is powerful things. Right? Jesus didn't just know a bunch of stuff. He could do a bunch of stuff. That one time some of these disciples saw he took bread and fed thousands of people. At that one time that widow's son was tragically dead and Jesus brought him back. He made the blind see. He drove out evil spirits with a word. It wasn't just Jesus would win, you know, first century jeopardy. is He could do, he could do anything that you wanted. So write this down. Jesus is not just an all-knowing and an all-worthy. He is finally an all-powerful king. <laughs> now, you put that all together and the average Jewish person in that crowd thought, Perfect. Jesus is the perfect king. If you could rewind 2,000 years and look at the prayer requests of the average Jew living near Jerusalem, do you know what would have been on their list? Not cancer. Caesar. The Romans and the taxes. All these Romans walking around like they own the place, occupying this sacred promised land, and all the taxes are bleeding us dry at every intersection. We have to cough it up so Caesar can live in luxury while we are struggling in poverty. We Jewish people, we we can't fight against the Romans. We can't do anything about these taxes but Jesus. Oh. If Jesus is our king, (laughs) the Caesar doesn't stand a chance, does he? If Jesus comes riding into town to lead us in a military fight and he knows everything, he's going to know every single thought that runs through every single Roman general's head. How could they defeat us? And if Jesus is all powerful, he could take the jawbone of this donkey and go like Samson 2.0 and take on the, the Roman legions. He can drive out legions of demons with a word and he could take on Roman legions in the same way. Now, the Romans could kill us. Jesus will bring us back. The Romans could try to besiege us and starve us. Jesus will just make more bread. He is the the perfect king to take care of Caesar and his oppressive taxes. Like he could walk over the Romans like they were a bunch of old cloaks and we could have a palm everyday parade. He is the perfect king. But you know what happened next? Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Right there next to the temple was the Roman fortress called Antonia where all these soldiers were and Jesus for that whole week, he didn't kill a single Roman. Not one. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he didn't even stop by the Roman fortress at all. Instead, he went right into the Jewish temple and flipped over tables and said, you hypocrites, and then that Tuesday, someone said, hey, Jesus, should we, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Remember what he said? Give, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Pay taxes. What? In fact, Jesus spent all week barely saying a word about the Romans and their taxes and saying countless words about people and their own hearts. He refused to spend his time worrying about the problems out there as real as they might have been and instead he focused almost all of his attention on the problem in here, in the hearts of religious people. And so what happened? Write this down. It's the big idea that we get from Holy Week that Jesus isn't the king that we want, Jesus instead is the king that we need. Friends, I want to tell you today that Jesus has not changed. He, he listens every time you cry out to him in prayer about the things that you want but what he is most concerned about is not, is not those people out there. He's concerned about this thing in here. A few years after Kim and I got married, just after we had those two little girls, um, we realized that we needed some help some counseling. Uh, my wife gave me permission to tell you this story. We were about seven years into our marriage. We had two kids in diapers and we were, we were struggling, um, just having the same argument every couple of months. And as I look back on that season of our marriage, I, I really, I blame the children. <laughs> I do. It was, it was your fault. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, Kim and I used to have all this time and energy for each other, and, and you parents know, then you have kids, and they just, they need 200% of you, and so we had to navigate expectations and realize what we could do and how things have changed, and we had to work that out. So we went to this, we went to this counselor, and honestly, all I wanted the counselor to say was three words. Kim? He's right. <laughs> I mean for hundred dollars an hour, you would think. Just three words is all I wanted, but can you guess what happened? That counselor did not tell me what I wanted. Instead, she told me what I what I needed. She said, if you, if you want to make your marriage better, stop thinking about her. And start thinking about you. Smart woman. Okay. And Jesus is a smart king. One of the dysfunctional problems of the human heart is that we, we always want to look out there. What's the problem with the world? What's the problem with America? What's the problem with the place that you work or the school that you attend? I bet instinctually you don't say, me, me. No, instead, it's the it's the Romans, right, or the Republicans, or the politicians, or the unions. It's old, rich, white men, or young, inner-city black ones. It, it's that coworker that you work with, the, the boss who is unbelievable. All the employees these days, the the COVID culture. We can pick a thousand different things because we hate, we hate, we hate to look in the mirror and say maybe maybe the problem is me. And like my little kids, we, we, throw this, we throw this tantrum. Like Adam and Eve, we, we point fingers. But Jesus loves us so much, sometimes he refuses to say, you know, you're right. Instead, he looks you square in the eye and he says, what about you? You see, what you and I need is not someone to fix the government." or the next generation. What you and I need is for someone to forgive what's in here. What you and I need is someone who who knows like the heart of the problem is the problem with our heart and we need someone who has so much power, he can't just give us good advice on how we can fix it but he can actually deal with it himself. Who in the world is possibly power enough to go toe-to-toe with the weight of your sin and win? There's only one answer. Jesus. Jesus Christ rolled into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago exactly as the king that we needed. He was so smart. He knew all things. He realized the problem wasn't the Roman soldiers or Caesar's taxes. The problem was the sinfulness of our own heart. He, He knew it. He knew that what you most need is not a cure for cancer, it is holiness given to your human heart. And Jesus is all-powerful. That means that on that Friday when he hung on the cross, he had the power through his sacred holy blood to cleanse you of every sin that you have ever committed. Only one person can fight the devil and win and his name is Jesus. Only one person can take the full weight of your past and erase it. And his name is Jesus. Only one person can actually make you good with God right now as a totally free gift, and his name is Jesus. Do you know why Jesus rode on the back of a donkey that never had a person on the back of it? Because he didn't come to fight. He wasn't jumping on a white steed that was trained for war, He, he was jumping on top of a virgin donkey who had no clue what it was doing because he didn't come to fight, he came to die. To die for you, to die for me, to make everything right with God so that at the end of the day, we would believe that Jesus is worthy. He's so worthy. Whether you're dying of cancer or you've never had a cancerous cell, he's worthy. But whether the anxiety lessens, diminishes, goes away or stays at, at level 10 for the rest of your life, he's worthy. Whether you find that person that you would love to settle down with and start a family with or not, he's worthy. If the world falls apart, if you sit at the lunch table by yourself at school, if you never get past the hurt of your past, he is always worthy because Jesus Christ has given us exactly what we need. He's given us God. He's given us forever. He's given us heaven. You know, friends, one day you're going to get exactly what you want. Jesus is going to come back and the Bible says he's going to be riding a white horse and he's going to go to war. He's going to fight against pain. He's going to fight against mental illness. He's going to fight against brokenness. He is going to heal your wounds. Everything you pray for, everything you want, it's coming. But for now, even if you don't get what you want, you have exactly what you need. The grace of God, the love of the Father, and the presence of the Holy Spirit.